Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with one of our new guest hosts, uh, Danny Seng, and uh, he comes to us in a, with a background in architecture, plus a whole bunch of other things where he's an avid reader, he's ho- going to publish a book soon, he's a chef, and a whole bunch of other things. So, Danny, if you can give us a little bit of an overview of what you're doing now, and then we'll go back in time uh, mm. to, to learn about Danny growing up. So what are you up to these days? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, Luki. So um, these days I'm running a architecture and interior design firm with my business partner, Tatiana, and we focus specifically on commercial, retail and residential type projects. Mm. And uh, we we love um, thinking about what's next, what's going to happen, um, just looking at trends and then creating solutions that help address those things. We uh, pride ourselves on being solutions driven. So anytime we work with a client, it's always about solving the issues for the end user and then creating a design that would solve those problems. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd love to go back in time and uh, learn a little bit more about uh, Danny as a kid. So what was Danny like growing up? Uh, what was kind of the earliest fond memories that you have? Mm-hmm. But uh, what was Danny like as a kid? Yeah, um, as a kid, so two phases. Phase one, I was uh, born in Taiwan. So um, as a kid, I was hyperactive. I was running around (laughs) all the time. And uh, being in Taiwan is very dense. So the the back alley of the the town that I lived in was like a labyrinth. So as a kid, I would just roam in and then uh, ward through those labyrinths and then causing trouble in in, in the neighborhood. (laughs) Everyone knows me as a kid that just would go in and then terrorize the the shop owners, but um, they all secretly love me. <laughs> right. And then um, I immigrated to Vancouver um, when I was nine. And that okay. was quite big of a transition for me, going from having a tight social group where I was basically like the leader of the kids to uh, okay. not able to speak the language and then wearing funny clothes and getting picked on. And <laughs> I was that was a bit of a sh- shock for me. And then um, like eventually in high school, I realized that I've really, I'm really i really interested in design and okay. architecture was something that I, I uh, wanted to do since it was a combination of science as well as arts. Um, but also, I was also attracted to the fact that whatever I create can kind of be formed into reality okay. and to build form. So it was, it was a vocation that I chose for those reasons. And I've been doing it for over 10 years now. That's amazing. So, so can you talk a little bit about that kind of first, uh, I guess, interest and infatuation in, in design? So, wh- when did you kind of get, come to that moment where, like, aha, this is what I want to get into? Yeah, it's uh, so like many architects, and I think with a lot of kids who aspire to become architects, we all play with Legos. And <laughs> yep. me, I, I never follow the instructions. I, I was mm. just it's actually the first thing I, I throw out. I'll just pour everything into a bucket and then just build things from scratch. And it's, I, I love the imagination aspect around it and to, uh, to build whatever. So the, in the first um, four way, um, I would say was that just being able to take these small building blocks and then to create a design. And then what's, what really, um, the, the next thing for me was in high school, I took a drafting class and I really okay. enjoyed the process of taking a, a, a vision or a design and then drafting something into technical drawings that eventually can be built. And uh, 
when then when I did my undergrad, it wasn't it actually wasn't architecture, but it was in fine arts. And okay. uh, I remember the prof um, specifically being having a focus on thinking about the meaning behind the art pieces itself, mm-hmm. and uh, as the practice of arts more than just about pretty pictures, but something that conveys meaning. So um, that was a, a interesting aspect that, that really stuck with me. And then when I was looking for to apply for my master's, I looked into architecture a bit further. And that's when I realized that it, um, the notion of form follows function. So any sort of design that is created, there's a meaning and a thought behind it and also a strategy of why we build things, uh, whether it's to solve a problem, whether to address specific um, regulatory approvals or budget concerns, or just to make, just to craft an environment to elicit certain emotions for the people that use the space. Um, so, and when I, I always remember when I stepped into the first house that I designed, um, mm. that was being built um, by, uh, for my own practice. Um, and I did it while I was doing freelancing, working at, um, like I was doing my own freelance, but also working in another firm. And the first time I walked into the house that I, I did on my own with my own clients, I'll never forget that feeling. It was, it was, uh, it was just seeing the vision and everything that I put on paper come to life. It was such a elated feeling. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, I mean, I resonate with some of that in the sense that, well, growing up, I wanted to be an architect. I had like some blueprint drawings of my own kind of uh, house with like a secret doors and passageways and stuff nice, like that. Nice. I, I don't know where it went, but it, it was somewhere and totally get the, mm-hmm. the Lego thing. And I think for us, we were kind of a lower middle class where we didn't even have a set with instructions. So there were no mm-hmm. instructions to follow. So it was, yeah, building everything. And I actually thought that when Lego came up with all those kind of like all the instruction on the pieces, I was like, oh, isn't that kind of defeating the purpose of it when everything yeah. is kind of cut and dry? So I definitely uh, relate to that. And I thought it was interesting um, that, that there's a drafting class in high school. I, we never had one in, in ours, so maybe it was specific to yours. But I'd love if you can speak to, and I, I don't know if you encounter this, where, in all honesty, like fine arts isn't something that the typical kind of Asian kid <laughs> is allowed mm. to do, right? You're supposed mm-hmm. to become like a, a doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer. Was there support or was there a pushback or, or what was kind of that decision like to go into a fine arts program? Well, I, I did the fine arts program because I I, uh, I figured that I would be able to get a degree as well as a portfolio to get into architecture. Okay. So that was more of the angle. And in, in retrospect, I probably should have just gone straight to an architecture program, but but that's in the fast sell. So one of the stuff I wish I knew, just go straight into an architecture program <laughs> instead of doing fine arts. So the uh, in terms of the support, it's I was also playing with the idea of of going into marketing or being a graphic designer. So okay. I figured the fine arts degree had offered more flexibility there. Okay. And and parents were were, were good with that? They didn't have any, any no, issues or something? Well, I, I wasn't a very good student in the high school, so I think they were just glad that I got into uh, <laughs> UBC at the time. <laughs> Right. So, so they were kind of saying, you know what, at least he got into something and exactly. he's going to get a, get a degree and all that sort of stuff. So uh, were, were there any other kind of influences along the way? So it seems like that a lot of it was kind of self-directed. A lot of the courses that you took, um, were, were there other kind of people along the way that, that helped kind of establish your interest in, in design or mentors or things like that, that uh, helped you kind of progress and find kind of this, this uh, interest in architecture? Well, um, for, for me, it was uh, my... <clears throat> My uncle, before he passed away, was a developer in Taiwan. And then okay. I 
I grew up seeing a lot of the architectural models, just seeing the scale. So that also always fascinated me. So that was also another um, component. And uh, it was then reading about some of the great architectural works around um, just reading those books as a kid, where it, it really got me inspired at architecture as a, a as a vocation where I can mm. take these designs and make them into reality. Mm. Yeah, it sounds interesting. And then when, when we were connecting uh, off air, one of the things that uh, you mentioned is that as, as you kind of had your, your career in architecture, that there's a little bit of uh, call it anxiety <laughs> in mm -hmm. the process in the workforce. So, so talk to us a, a little bit about that. So did it happen like uh, while you were in school or after or, or, or later? And then how did you uh, overcome it? Well, I uh, throughout um, when I first immigrated to to Canada, um, I I touched on very briefly that uh, that uh, there was some bullying involved, and mm. uh, I ended up developing a, a social anxiety as well as a mm. bit of a stutter. So going into the workforce, I realized that networking is going to be something that I need to be good at, and also I can't be um, hyperventilating from social anxiety if I'm in a meeting right. room. So I decided then and there to to eradicate that and okay. uh i went out every single night and for close to a period of three to four years and i simply just read books on networking and then uh and then apply those those things that i read um and i just went on and did it and eventually i overcame it but also got a host of contacts that some became my good friends and some became my clients and that was actually how i launched my my own career as an, as an architect and that was also where i met my business partner as well we actually met at an event um in in 2012. cool so yeah yeah can, can you walk us through a little bit about that decision because that you kind of glossed over it's like i just made a decision but like what's going on in your head because previous to that you, you said you were hypoventilating you had lots of anxiety there and and just on a, on a dime or like, what were you, were you meditating in your room? Were you just uh, fed up or, or how does that, how does one come mm -hmm. to that decision or make that decision? Yeah, I was, um, there, there was a moment where I was, I, I downloaded a game called Stim Life 2. Okay. At the time it was a new sequel follow-up to Stim Life. And mm -hmm. uh, I was just, I was installing it. This was in the evening. So I lived in a condo and I was looking at the night sky and uh, after work, um, since I didn't have much of a social life, I would essentially watch shows and play video games. Okay. And this was my last straw. At this point, I've already watched everything I wanted to watch. <laughs> right. And um, I, I finished the entire series of Lost in like two weeks. And then that's okay. close to nine seasons. So it was like a lot of doing that. And so when I downloaded Sim Life 2, I figured since I didn't have a life in real life, at least my avatar would in virtual reality. So okay. I watched the installation bar go from 10%, 8%, 20%. And then I looked out at the night sky and uh, the silhouette of the city, the little lights flickering, different lives that people have. And then I looked over at the installation bar and it was now at 95. And that, that's when like something within me cracked. I'm like, no, like I, I need to overcome this. And I kicked the uh, door of my condo open so far, it hasn't closed since. That night, I signed up for uh, ten different networking events, and just and, and just haven't stopped from there. And yeah, that was a catalyst for it. 
That, that's amazing. So uh, can, can you walk us through kind of that, that first event? So, so you just kick open the door and you're, you're, you signed up for a bunch of events. The first event where you kind of like uh, seize the day, let's, let's just do it. Or, or what was going on in your head? Uh, kind of that first event, that first conversation or you initiated or did you even initiate it? Mm -hmm. uh, what was that experience? I, I, yeah, funny you said that. I paced around the venue for a good 45 minutes before I even <laughs> had to go in. And uh, it was scary. And uh, a experience that I, so I went whitewater rafting um, this weekend and okay. it was the first time doing it. It was at the Ottawa River. And mm -hmm. uh, if if the intensity of the river flow is of Niagara Falls is a six, the one we went to was a four. Right. So it's, it's close to like as, as intense as it could. But the instructor told us that when you're in the rapids, when you see it, you have to paddle towards it. Like you okay. have to run towards the, the danger and you can't stop. And uh, basically, you have to feel the fear and do it anyways. Right. That's what we'll call that. So, um, if I could relate to those experiences, it was very much that. It was, mm. I was um, social anxiety was terrified, but I just ran towards it. And uh, it's, it's, Ron Holiday talks about that in Obstacle as a Way, and Stoics, mm -hmm. Stoics also talk about it to like the obstacle of what you want to accomplish oftentimes is, is the path forward. And um, the the sense of um, discomfort and uh, also fear is is more of a signal for for us to get to the other side. For sure, and and that's that's often some of the things that I, that I work with my clients with. Where usually, if there's some hesitation there, that ends up being a challenge or homework for them because that's mm -hmm. probably where the biggest exactly. growth will be for them. So, you mentioned a, a couple of books, and you were consuming a lot of information and some some useful tips and tactics. What, what are some of those that you might want to share that were kind of the most impactful or, or helpful for you as you were uh, embarking on this road to become a, a an, an amazing social butterfly and, and a networking expert out there? Oh yeah. There there were a few, um, and actually, no, there were quite quite many. But but some of my top books that I would highly recommend. The uh, this is a classic: Seven Habits of Highly uh, Effective People. Sure. It talks about paradigm, and paradigm is basically uh, kind of like the, the, your view of the world. Mm -hmm. And another great book is Carol Duret's Mindset of mm -hmm. Adapting a Growth Mindset Rather Than a Fixed Mindset. Right, and um, that's that was what I what. What I took on, basically seeing that where I am previously doesn't define where I want to be in, uh, in the future, and I simply just need to um, seek progress rather than perfection, and then move forward from there. Sounds great. So it seems like that you were able to accomplish that, and and you mentioned uh, briefly that uh, you you actually met your business partner at one of the events. So so talk to us a little bit about that journey. So you're right now working at a firm right uh, before that now you're meeting all these people and then what kind of got into you that said you know what i should start this on my own with with the help of someone else but but how did that process happen mm, yeah so so i i met my business partner in 2012 and uh, we basically became like like best friends at first sight she, <laughs> yeah she we got along really quickly and she had skill sets that were different than mine. She's highly organized and she's also very good at, um, she had a natural talent for managing. Mm. So I figured that this, these are these are the right traits. And she's also an interior designer and mm. why well, do architecture. And in terms of architecture and building, we experience the building from the inside out. Even when we design, it's also okay. always from the inside out. So I wanted um, someone who had an interior design background as well, um, who can, who was, what had the, 
had a talent for management uh, and uh, it, it was a natural fit. And it's funny, the second time we met, we were like, we should start a firm together. So <laughs> it was always something bubbling in the, in, in the back of our, our heads. Um, and that uh, was kind of how we came about. And then we, we kept in touch, obviously became really good friends and uh, started collaborating on smaller projects while we were still working at our, um, <clears throat> our photon jobs. So to speak. And uh, eventually it got to the point where I just couldn't handle the freelance work while doing my full-time job and I had to push out. And, uh, and then she joined me full-time two years after that. And that was how the cookie crumbled. That's awesome. So, so talk to us uh, about kind of that decision point to say, you know what, uh, I, I have this safety net, my full-time job, but I'm doing a whole bunch of amazing stuff on the freelance side. So, so what kind of uh, like broke the straw or kind of allowed you to, to, to uh, catapult yourself into that entrepreneurial space? Well, it, um, that was always a plan. And uh, I, okay. I remember sitting at, the, at, at my last full-time job and just looking at people around me. And I, I see the advancements in technology that's happening. And I also see some of the, some of the uh, um, things and processes that are becoming more efficient. So um, just to give, a, give an example, we were using a software called AutoCAD, which is very two-dimensional based. And then we started using a, a company called, sorry, a, a software called Revit, which is building information modeling. So you're designing the entire building in 3D as a 3D model, and then you extract the drawings out of it. And I realized that for my own freelance project using BIM, I was able to <clears throat> create a drawing set four times faster than mm. than my <clears throat> than the previous. And it reminded me of the leap when we went from hand drawings to a computer. Mm. So the leap after that, I think, would be would be AR, like artificial um, intelligence um, assistive design. So have smart machine learning that can help us design faster. What that also means is yes, we're able to do it quicker and more efficient, but I think it also would affect the industry in ways where machines can potentially replace part of our workforce. Mm -hmm. And that's where I realized that I needed to start thinking about how to future proof myself. Right. And uh, there were there's a thought that I could stay at a firm for another 10 years or so, learn the ropes and eventually open my own. But sure. for me, it's I've always felt that if I were to do it on my own, I'll be able to learn things such as business sales and how to run a practice, even managing people. If I, if I can, I, and I'm someone that learns the best from from doing right? mm -hmm. and also my own self-education. Which is which I, I think was one of the reasons why I, I uh, um, didn't get straight A's in school until I got into to graduate school, um, which graduate school is more hands on, like hands on where you learn things on your own with the critique of teachers. Right. And um, and and so I picked up a lot of skill sets that I learned on my own that that benefited my my business as well. And eventually um, had enough projects to run up on my own. And I was just looking at the timeline. Like there's no way I can do these two jobs at once and right. just decided to take the leap. That sounds good. So before we go into the entrepreneurial journey, can you uh, walk us through a little bit about kind of the, the first freelance engagement that you did? So I presume that you were working at some point and you said, you know what, I should do something on the side. Like, like how, how did you go about finding that first job and, and, and what was that process to become a freelancer like? Yeah, so the first, the, the very, my very first job was actually, so my dad's a real estate agent, and mm. the first job was, was actually through a client that he had, 
that wanted to to rebuild over his property. And uh, um, it was it was in Vancouver, so everything was done remotely. Okay. And, um, and and like I said, when I walked into that space, it just flew in my mind. It made me realize that yeah, <laughs> this is what I wanted to do. But the project that allowed me to take take off and work on my own was um, someone I met in. It also in 20, 2012, maybe the end of, yeah, like the beginning of 2012 also. And at the time he was doing, doing mortgages as well as smaller scale projects, uh, but we always kept in touch. And then in 2015, three years later, he gives me a call and tells me that he's just purchased a property and he wants to develop a, the, the land into a multi-unit residential. And, uh, I, I said, okay, well, um, and he wasn't ready to sign me on for the entire project yet. So I s simply said, hey, I'll do a few designs for you if you like it, then uh, you can decide to go with us. Sure. So did a few design and eventually nailed it. And, she, and then I said, I asked, hey, my I send you a proposal for the full scale scope of work? Mm -hmm. And he said, yes. And I sent it to him, it was approved. And then I was looking at it and, and it was, it was, it was a, big amounts and enough for me to go off on my own and cool. so that was all through networking and just keeping in touch and just continue to work on my craft that's amazing so yeah uh, another point for the, the power of, of networking and staying connected and and also build, building those connections so that people know what you do because sometimes you connect superficially and and they don't actually know what you do even though you might have mm. played basketball with them or whatever for for, for like years on end uh, so exactly beyond kind of just the, the, the classical networking events and things like that. So, mm -hmm. um, so, so walk us through a little bit about the, the entrepreneurial journey. So, so now you're starting your firm with, with uh, your, your business partner. Um, so I guess you were already freelancing, had a few gigs there. So what was kind of the, the first project that you collaborated with, with her on? And then how did you kind of grow? And, and, and I think you're, you've passed uh, your, your first million dollars and, and are continuing to grow and, and thrive. So what was that journey like? Yeah, in, in the first few years, we're taking, um, other than that, that, that talent development, we're taking on smaller jobs. So yes. um, offices and uh, so I, as an architect, I deal with the building permits. So okay. um, my business partner for her projects was working on the design. So I would overlook the drawings for building code compliance, um, as well as fire safety and so forth to get that approved. Um, and, uh, the, the, the first few projects were small, but we, um, just kept on building our body of work. Uh, and we actually just finished or are in the process of finishing a 50,000 square foot office. Okay. But we started, we started out doing like really small projects. Um, there was one project early on we did with a, um, with, with someone I also met from networking that became a really good friend. So they they um they had a, a a concept that was a shaker bottle with a with with a protein shake um okay. you're, so so you're able to store your protein powder within the water bottle and then at a push of a button it releases the the hidden compartment that releases okay. the protein powder so you can use that as a protein shake after your your uh your workout okay so i i saw their pitch on the dragon's den and then Two weeks later, I, I, I saw um, one of the partners there at an event and I okay. grabbed him and I'm like, you're from the Dragon's Den. And then <clears throat> about two months later, we were designing their office as we were okay. expanding. So um, that was probably the first project that I collaborated with my business partner on. 
And that was in 2014 while I was still working um, at my full-time job. So, so well, walk us through that process. So you just recognize this friend, he has this kind of shaker bottle on Dragon's Den and then automatically you kind of just pitched him to to do their office or like, how does that process work? Well, you, well yeah, like you, forward. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sorry, uh, let me get into some more of the details. So people want to work with um, people they trust. And right. people they like. So the likability factor was there, but as professionals, we're hard for our, our expertise. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I I met him and then um, kept in touch with friends, but I would always talk about architecture and the uh, interest in, in, in design and so forth. Okay. So when they were ready to do it, um, you know, they, they, they brought us on. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of what I do now is getting leads and also meeting people, but the, uh, um, the I, I say business development is very much like dating. The mm. mechanisms are exactly the same. You want to you open, like open the interaction, and uh, you build a level of attraction, and then you kind of have to qualify them to see if they are the right fit, and then right. you you build that rapport, and finally, and you go for the kill. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you know you might not have projects right away, but the intent isn't necessary to meet people specifically that you can get projects from is to meet people that you like and to build networks with. And if there's a project that's a right fit for each other, then go for it. But yeah. I never approach interactions thinking that I would get projects out of them or anything. It's more about getting to know them as people and uh, seeing how we can um, improve our lives through interactions with each other. For sure. One of the pr- perspectives that I often share with folks on networking is to uh, treat it like farming instead of hunting. Mm, right? yes, most, people, yeah. most people hunt where they're trying to get the big game, the whale, the elephant or whatever. Whereas you come through and, and you, you nurture it. You give it some sunlight, some exactly. water, take away the weeds and cultivate it and whatever. And eventually, oh, here's some fruit. Here's some here's a, a new crop that you can have. And, and the great thing is if you do it over time, then the, the fruit keeps on giving. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. keep coming back where it doesn't have to be a, a one hit wonder, that sort of thing, which I think is helpful. And, and like what you mentioned in, in dating, where oftentimes I, I uh, recommend with folks uh, in order to determine whether you're kind of networking correctly, relate it to dating. Because oftentimes two people are two people are often looking for that uh, one night stand, right? And going right after, hey, would yes. you like to come back to my hotel room? It's like, I don't even know you. Like, Why, why would I want to yeah, do that? Yeah. Now it happens once in a while because that's how the world is, but it happens far less than you would you would like. So building mm-hmm. those relationships, I think, are, are supremely important. Yeah, so, that's totally it. Yeah, so so talk to us a little bit about now now the growth. So 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 you've started a couple of uh, jobs. You're you're kind of building the momentum. You're you're networking a, a lot and and closing all these deals. And then now you're expanding and growing. H- how big are you right now? How many? Uh, um, we're we're a team of ten right now. Okay, so so how did you get to the point of like hiring your first employee, that sort of thing? Because oftentimes that that's when when your partners you just kind of share the work or whatever. But hey, now we have enough business to to mm-hmm. pay someone and to hire them. So what was that yeah. process like to grow? Yeah, so so that process was we we uh, got in a number of projects at that point, and we realized that we need help because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm able to do it all, all on my own. And it, initially, it was actually tough for me because. Uh, and I, I think up until earlier this year, it was so tough because I'm someone that prides myself on being able to figure things out on my own and being sure. able to do it. And um, but that doesn't work when you're growing a business because what, what it's about is teamwork. And it's about knowing what you're specifically good at and only doing that and then give 
other people their their ability to shine by right. allowing them to do what they're good at. So um, early on in, in the process, we um, um, for for me anyways, I I wanted to do a lot of the work myself, and mm. uh, but delegating is what um, was something I've, I've really worked on, and there was a really good analogy um, that I heard somewhere like to to really train someone to do something you probably have to show them 15 to 30 times or so mm -hmm. and it might take you five minutes to explain right. it and oftentimes it's easy for us to just take it and say oh you know what i'll, I'll just do it and i'll just do it myself right however if they don't fully learn it and they don't understand it it means that you'll have to keep on doing it mm -hmm. for so many times so it's a much better time investment to teach some someone something that takes you five minutes, maybe 30 times or so. Um, it's 150 hours for someone to right. really master that task. But you're saving heck of a lot more hours by taking those five hours and, and doing it yourself. Because you might have to do it, that specific task that takes you five minutes, a hundred or a thousand times, instead of sure. having someone else um, do it for you. So understanding that and then also um, giving Giving people the ability to, to shine is, mm. is something that we really brought on. And uh, a an approach that we, we took uh, actually from Ray Dalio, I see that book on your shelf, the, <laughs> yeah. the notion of idea meritocracy. So mm. it's the idea that everyone, no matter where they're at, what, no matter what stage, has great ideas. And uh, oftentimes, when we, when, uh, our, our first employee was obviously young. So. Right. They have young, they have great ideas, fresh ideas, and they're very, um, <clears throat> very passionate and ambitious. So we, we, we don't, we take everyone's ideas and, and if they're good, we implement it fast. So we, we work through an idea meritocracy based system where anyone who has a great idea will, will, will um, implement it and then, uh, and then pivot if, if needed. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. And, and for me, I think delegation was one of the hardest lessons that I had to learn as, as well. Exactly. To, to your point, like, I can do it better than you all. Let me just mm -hmm. do it. Right. And the way that it was taught to me is, is, is my manager had said, OK, so let's imagine that you have something that it takes you 40 hours to do. Um, mm. Right. Uh, or, or sorry, someone else 40 hours to do, but it only takes you eight hours to do it. Right. Um, and in addition to the 40 hours that the other person has to do, you have to check in an hour every day. So that's five times over the week. Uh, in order to save yourself 40 uh, hours and uh, would you do it? And uh, the answer to me was like, no, because it only takes me eight hours. It takes them um, mm. 40. Whereas he said, you know what? T look at it a different way. It don't, doesn't take you eight hours to do it. It now only takes you five because you only have to manage them for five days and you gain basically three hours or, or close to like 40% why wouldn't you do that? And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, <laughs> right. And then when that, <laughs> when that kind of penny drops and the, that perspective shifts, like, oh yeah. And the thing is that person who took 40 hours will eventually take 32 and then 24 and maybe never get to eight like you, but eventually they'll get faster and faster and better and better. Right. And then they, mm -hmm. they can shine and, and maybe they'll, they'll get to four where they will do it even faster and better than you. And, and that's kind of the hope. Um, so, so I love all that. And, and the idea of meritocracy, I think is, is really great. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's harder to uh, up, up, 
apply when you're in a big organization there. But when you're kind of on your own and you have flexibility on the culture, I think that that's helpful. So as, as we kind of uh, close things off, so thanks a lot for sharing all of your experience. But what is some of the other kind of general swike that you would want to give uh, little Danny at various stages of your, of your life, maybe moving to Canada or different uh, areas where you've kind of grown? What are some of the, the swike that you give for yourself uh, over the years? Oh my God, there, there's so many. Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to write a book about it, so you'll put it all there, oh, but yeah, maybe yeah. the top three or something like that. So. Yeah, top, yeah, top three. So, so, so let's go with top three. Um, re recently, so, so first one I would say is, is action. Um, take action first. You okay. can know all, all the things in the world, read all the books, but if you don't take action on anything, it's useless. Right. And a lot of people ask me about motivation. And, and how how to get it. And interestingly enough, action is something that builds that motivation. Because mm. and, and I would say consistent action as well. Mm. So one thing that's really important is the the um is, is accountability when it comes to sure. to business and anything in life. So whether you're able to be self-accountable or you get a coach to keep you accountable. Um an important thing is to build self-confidence within yourself and your own ability mm. and build that momentum. And the best way to do it is by <clears throat> keeping, by by having tasks, whether it's small or 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 like large size. But I recommend it small, like breaking large things into small chunks, and mm. do it consistently. Because what you're doing is you're you're doing a building a trust account with yourself that you can right. get it done. So that would be the first thing. Um, it's it's action first and then motivation, not the other way around. Trying right. to get motivation and then do the action. Right. And uh, the other thing is. Um, is, is around mindset and also the importance of having an impeccable um, internal dialogue. Mm. So, and also being impeccable with your words. So we all hear the term being a man or a person of your word. And uh, it's, it's how others build trust with you as well. So right. respecting deadlines and doing what you say you would do, even showing up on, on time. Right. This is, um, I, I used to be, I used to never be on time until <laughs> a few years ago where I realized the importance of that. And my life really changed dramatically for the better. And once I realized the importance of my word. Um, and uh, an, another another idea um, around that, that having a, a strong mindset is the internal dialogue. We all, so we've all experienced traumatic events as kids growing up. Um, or even at work or any of those things. And the, those traumatic events are painful. But what's worse is suffering. And the suffering is the feedback loop that we replay to remind our, ourselves of that traumatic moments. And then um, I, I've certainly experienced it. I have uh, would replay these moments in my head and then I'll create stories around them about why I'm not worthy, why I'm not deserve, deserving of success. Right. And... Um, it, that's probably the most important thing to, that I would like my younger self to know is that I can mm. rewrite that story. Mm -hmm. We, uh, when we die, we we see our life flash before our eyes. So in many ways, death is a final destination, but our life is a process. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would rather watch a movie that I want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and that also means that we're the actor, casting agent, director, screenwriter of our own life's movie. Sure. So um, being able to change our internal dialogue. So so going from a negative um, mindset, like, oh, I'll never finish this to 
instead of doing affirmations, oh, you're powerful, you're good, et cetera. I, I like to ask myself questions, like what would it take for me to finish this project right now? Mm-hmm. And then it instantly breaks me out of those, those negative feedback loops. Or if I'm um, out pitching to a client and the negative self-talk starts seeping in, oh, they don't think I'm experienced enough, maybe I'm too expensive, maybe I'm just, you know, um, and, and then stop myself there. Like, okay, I, I know what, what I have to offer, and the question I ask is, how do I tailor my services to solve this client's problem better? Sure. And just go from there and just and not be so focused on the results, but actually focus more on deliver, delivering better results for them. And uh, the, the, last, the last thing I would say is the uh, um, similar to the whole creative process where we have a vision and then we, we run through a process of creating a final products it's it's uh how you, i truly believe that how you do any how you do anything is how you do everything right so small tasks you do whether it's um like doing sloppy on your 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 homework for your younger uh, listeners or or like how you or how you're late for a uh, um, meeting with your friends you can trace back to times where it's showing up in other places in your life. So that's right. where the consistency part comes in and about finding these small things. So um, tying all those things together, these are the, the most important things that I would tell my younger self. Yeah, I think th- those are all uh, amazing points, uh, very deep and philosophical at times as well. And, <laughs> and I think uh, definitely that, that consistency is something that, that I would echo and, and something as simple as even making your bed when, when you wake up can exactly. apply exactly. to that, right? And uh, on the mindset thing uh, and the impeccable dialogue, I, I think, is that from like the, the, the four agreements? Uh, or is Yeah, there the four agreements there? talks about that. Yeah, and so I think that's it's... definitely one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 for me, the the for the action orientedness is is uh, there's a the expression where knowledge is power. Well, knowledge is only potential power until you exactly. put it into action, right? So I think all, all those are are great. And and sometimes uh, in, instead of doing like the the ready aim fire, what you do is uh, ready fire and then aim, right? <laughs> no. aim, aim for your next shot because the first one mm-hmm. probably won't be perfect. So so you, you take a, a second one there, right? Um, mm-hmm. So thanks so much for, for sharing all your, your experience, your wisdom and insights. And hopefully we'll have you back for a future episode to deep dive on any of these things. But yeah, uh, yeah sure. where where can folks uh, reach out to you if they want to get a hold of you? And uh, what are some of the future aspirations that we're looking forward to hearing and seeing from you uh, later on? Yeah, so um, you can find us if you're on social media. Um, we're called Syllable. So mm-hmm. it's uh, at syllable.design on Instagram mm-hmm. as well as LinkedIn and Facebook. And uh, if you, you can drop me a DM through there. I'm quite active there. And as for future um, items we're working on, so um, top secret. <laughs> You'll just have to follow us to see what we're up to. <laughs> Sounds good. So keep us in a little bit of suspense. So thanks so much, Danny, for joining us. And again, uh, looking forward to hopefully having you back in a future episode. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Luki. Appreciate it. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. 
Thanks. Bye.